Hello everybody, this is episode 13 of Treasure Island Pedagogies from University of Liverpool Centre for Innovation in Education. We have got three guests and I'm very pleased to say it's a completely global um, audience and, and guests today. I'll let you introduce yourself, but um, let's um, start with Ruth, please. Hi there, my name is Ruth Smith. I am a C lecturer and programme lead at the University of Northampton and I teach across uh, nursing programmes. Um, so my background is that I um, did an undergraduate degree um, at Oxford Brooks, um, which was a BA in adult nursing. And then I spent 15 glorious years working in the NHS across uh, loads of different disciplines, actually. And I think probably what I learned through my clinical career is I enjoy nursing and I don't really put my hat in any particular clinical speciality. But always in a hospital, I did lots of different things. And then I think I sort of had that leaning and yearning towards education. And so I did a mixed role for um, a good number of years that was between clinical nurse specialist and also with a sort of practice development educational head on um, and that was a really great thing and it really was a nice way I think to dip my toe in this world of education and I think that probably gave me the inference to think actually it's, it is education that I want to follow for my nursing career and hence I've been at the University of Northampton for about seven years and so I teach across a number of different pre-registration programmes so they're people who are not qualified yet as nurses and what that looks like in practice is we have students on a BSc nursing programme and then we have students on an FDSC nursing associate programme so I teach across all of those things and it's the nursing associate branch that I lead and I'm also a professional doctorate student so coming towards the end of my second year and sort of really coming to I suppose find the things that I'm interested in within that wider sphere of nursing education and it's really that sort of clinical um, learning and application of theory to that clinical role that's the bit that I'm really interested in and want to explore more about. Mm -hmm. The million dollar question isn't it? That's really interesting. Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Thanks Ruth. Yes yeah, Zoe? Yes, yeah, so hi everyone. My name is Zoe Hurley and I'm based at the College of Communications and Media Sciences uh, in Zayed University in Dubai and I mainly teach social media, so introduction to social media. So I studied um, English and film um, for my BA at the, the University of East Anglia in Norwich, um, England. And following that, I went on and did a master's in impli applied linguistics and TESOL. And, you know, I was always really interested in popular culture, uh, also language and issues of power. Um, and basically, I really wanted to see the world. So when I, I quite soon after graduating from my BA, um, I started teaching TEFL and basically never came back to the UK. And so for the last 25 years, um, I've lived in Malaysia, Kuwait, Borneo, and I've been in um, Dubai now for just under a decade. And, um, you know, I was really interested in, in academia and I wasn't sure whether to go in the direction of communications or education. So I chose technology enhanced learning because I really thought that it was a kind of interdisciplinary approach where I could bring in both of my interests and you know, I'm currently in a, in a media and communications department, but I see pedagogy, you know, as instrumental to, to everything I do. Thank you. And Johannes? 
Hi, uh, Johannes Wielden. I'm a visual criminologist, uh, and I uh, work at Norwich University in Vermont, United States. I degree at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And uh, then I applied to go to uh, Durham University in the UK to do my LLM in international law and European legal studies, a degree that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. Um, but it was an incredible year for me. I had colleagues who were lawyers from all around the world. I believe I was the only non-lawyer in the program. And uh, yeah, it really, I don't know, I began a, a, a lifelong interest in understanding law, but also trying to understand different cultures. And so uh, my plan was to go back to, to Canada and, and get a job. Uh, and I had an opportunity to do an internship in Latvia as part of a UN program for the rights of the child. And uh, I walked into my office and the person I was sharing it with was a Canadian who grew up literally 20 minutes from my house in little Nova Scotia. Um, I was completely all alone, didn't speak the language, didn't have any sense. And so we became fast friends. And with about, within about eight months, I was running a million dollar criminal justice reform project with the government of, of Latvia. Um, and that turned into a two-year project to develop the first probation service in that country. Um, and during that time, I was, I don't know if I was recruited, I was uh, encouraged to consider a PhD at Simon Fraser University uh, near Vancouver in British Columbia. And uh, my dissertation focused on uh, pedagogy around teaching and learning concepts of justice. Um, between Canadian trainers and Latvian learners. And the question was really, were people learning what the Canadians thought they were teaching? And did the Canadians have any feeling about um, what they were trying to do and, and to what extent it was getting through? And it was a, a fascinating experience. Um, so I did my dissertation and I moved to Washington, D.C., where I met my uh, future uh, wife and partner. Um, and we decided to get out of the city and became country mice and went and lived in uh, rural Washington state where I taught at a medium security prison for two years. Um, I taught criminology and philosophy and well, anything, anything they needed teaching. It was part of a very unique program with the community college. Um, and we managed to get some funding to do a debate program and that sort of spearheaded my interest in debate. So it's been a, a very long and interesting journey. Wow. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I, I am an adjunct professor right now at Norwich University. I stepped off the tenure track a few years ago to work um, in not the nonprofit world here in the state. Um, and during the COVID times, um, I sort of took a break from university teaching to uh, work at, at our local elementary school where my children go to school. Um, I, I have no idea how it has been in other parts of the world, but here a lot of our substitutes were, were older folks who uh, had a lot of fears about going back into the classroom. And uh, so for the last year and a half, I have been, uh, uh, I get a phone call every morning around 7.30. Can I come <laughs> in today? Um, I've also managed to use this time to do some writing. And so uh, I have a book out right now on visual criminology and I'm near completion on a book on cannabis criminology. So it's actually interesting to think about 
<laughs> these various steps and twists and turns that have brought me to this moment. Yeah, and I think what what seems a common of all of three, even though it's very different and varied, that, that you all mentioned culture and different countries, but whether it's actual nations and countries or whether it's cultures like Bruce, you mentioned NHS from moving the NHS to academia and all of all of you put also moved into the doctoral level when you were pursuing the education, your interest in education. So th thanks for sharing that. So let's do a bit of rowing to our islands, treasure islands. I think Ruth behind you, uh, listeners won't see, but you've got some lovely lake. So if you get a boat and start rowing to our treasure island, which is this um, place where we come together with students when they are learning. So we wanted you to share with you a light bulb moment, one of your light bulb moments where, where you're, you felt your students were getting it. And, and if you describe what made that happen, that would be brilliant. Okay. Well, I think before I can tell you my light bulb uh, moment, but actually I think my light bulb moment is more of a slow turning up of the light than a a ping. Um, but let me just give you just a little bit of background to, I suppose, how we um, deliver nursing education. Um, because ultimately, when you're trying to deliver a degree to a nurse, you are trying to give them all of this theory and all of this underpinning evidence. But you also need them to be in practice learning to be, to be a nurse. So our degree programmes spend sort of 45 weeks of the year where our students go through those kind of processes of theory blocks and practice blocks. Um, and then so my interest within that larger programme is there's a real trend in medical education, in nursing education for simulation learning. So we have some really terrific um, mannequins that look just like real people. And we have classrooms here at the university that are mocked up to be like wards. And we have things that beep in an alarming manner that make my heart still go fast because I have such a, an association with that increased beeping. Um, so we're able to put our students into some, you know, sort of relatively realistic clinical experiences. And that isn't particularly you know amazing for our university everybody does that that's quite a routine approach to um to clinical learning um but i think the approach that we have developed and i will confess that it's actually been a kind of an accidental approach to simulation learning um has been through us as tutors creating and planning for these learning um, scenarios. Maybe we know what we want our students to be able to um, be exposed to within our classrooms and what we want them to learn. Um, but we've also developed a technique where we want to buy time and space for our students to work through those scenarios um, in small groups to look at those scenarios and to spend a bit of time trying to understand um, what's happening in those scenarios. So a patient's been admitted with a condition, do, do we understand what that is? And quite a lot of time I think nursing students have, oh yes, we know that headline, we know that we know those words, they, we know they exist. But quite what is going on within the body anatomically, pathologically at that point, um, you know, that's that kind of devil of understanding. And what we found through giving them that little bit of space is that they were having those questions and those discussions between themselves and they were starting to bring in these rich storytelling of oh well I had an experience in placement that was a bit like that um, and that's helping to layer I suppose you know that where we start with this quite sort of basic understanding of a clinical condition and how they can build on that um, and expand and work as a team to really build that knowledge forward. Um, and then where we come in to uh, actually have a role in our students' education is, uh, you know, coming in to say, well, what are you talking about? And how can we help you to make sense of these situations that you've been placed in and how we can transfer that to the scenario that we want to go through today? Um, 
And so we've been able to work with our students to, I suppose, pull on that information, but also to use that as, as an opportunity for teaching. So you think you understood what this condition meant. So let's try and find out more about it. Can we remember back to a different year of study when we were learning about the lungs? Do we remember the pathology? How does that relate to what we're looking at here? And that was the, the context, really, with um, how we planned and developed our simulation learning. And I think I said it was a sort of an accidental approach because the way that simulation is normally planned is that a tutor would write a scenario and students would go through it. And the assessment tended to be if you can you know, put an intervention in at the right time and you're doing a, a good job. And um, but what I think I was interested in, not could you do the right things at the right time, but did you really understand why you were doing what you were doing? Because if there's one thing I've learned from my clinical career is that patients are, are not black and white. In fact, they're incredibly grey. So two patients with the same condition are not going to present um, in the same way. And the way that you um, enable yourself to deal with that in clinical practice is if you can understand those varying shades of grey, you're able to apply that and adapt that in a myriad of different situations and of course the joy of being able to do that in our classroom is it's really safe nobody dies in our classroom and so that's you know real real benefit for that and so then thinking about my light bulb or as I think I put it as a slow turning up of my dimmer switch is that the first couple of times we run this session there was a real sort of sense between uh, myself and my uh, fellow colleagues of that wow that was just very very enjoyable we did we did like that style of teaching and the students were telling us oh, we've learned so much my head hurts a bit but it was really enjoyable um, so I spent the last couple of years I suppose trying to sort of pull out a little bit more with the students with colleagues through value as to quite what was it that was so enjoyable and effective um, in that approach to um, simulation. And as I say, initially, there was quite a sort of a warm fuzziness of, you know, that was enjoyable. I think I understand things better. And so for myself as a nursing lecturer, actually, it was really positive to hear because what I want them to do is to understand what they're doing so that when they are registered nurses, they're able to care for their patients safely. Um, but then we were able to pull out a little bit more about what it was that made that effective. And I think it was really a combination of the, the pitch of the scenarios. They were sufficiently difficult enough that... Um, students did feel that they were challenged but also because we had them working in small groups we were able to individually work with those students to either okay you're you're maybe struggling and need a little bit more coaching with this we can work you through it but similarly you really get this let's push you and we can change things within our simulated uh, hospital setups to make things more challenging to really push those students knowledge and I think that kind of individualized approach to that simulated environment was really um, effective and then I think the other thing that's come out quite strongly through the evaluation I've done of this simulation approach is it's actually the interpersonal relationships between students and between students and teachers that has been, um, I think, really quite core in making that a, a credible clinical learning environment. So students are you know, quite keen to say that when they're working with people that they know or students that they're able to get to know in that environment, that they sort of feel that they're able to share those stories and ask those questions. Um, and then I think the other side of that is that through our approach, and, you know, the team and I have worked really hard to make it a supportive, friendly, almost non-hierarchical relationship between ourselves and students is that they enjoy the challenge, but they feel it in a friendly way. 
rather than a dictatorial telling off sort of way. Um, and I think they enjoy the kind of motivation that we are able to give them and the encouragement and the support. And also, I think they listen, they enjoy listening to the stories that we tell them about our clinical experiences. So we're having this scenario today, but all I had an experience like this in practice, and this was that situation. And I think it sort of comes back to those kind of communication skills of storytelling and um you know, sharing experiences and, and that kind of peer encouragement and support that really made the light bulb ping, I think, for myself and colleagues as we kind of got deeper into um, into our simulation approach. Um, and then I suppose when I just unpick that a little bit more and think about, well, why, why is this effective? And I think it's, you know, it's thinking about... Um, you know, those different learning styles that able, students are able to pick up on because there is some seeing this and doing and some listening. So I think that is quite a rounded approach to planning those learning activities. Um, and then I think the other sort of um, thing that's quite interesting is students have retrospectively been able to tell me about how when we did that scenario, well, guess what? A few weeks later in practice, I had somebody just like that and I knew what to do because I remembered having done it in the classroom. And again, as a nursing lecturer, you know, those are the things that make it really important because you know that what you're doing has been halfway good because they've been able to apply that to a real patient and a much safer approach to do that. Um, because of what they've been able to learn um, in the classroom with us. So I think that's my dimming up ding, uh, and yeah, my, my brief that, story. That, that <laughs> worked so well. You really gave us a really comprehensive insight and, and there's so many things that you're setting up and, and also just the, how it worked and your evaluation and uh, the, the relationship that you were establishing through this approach and I mean does it resonate with either of you Johannes and Zoe? Yeah definitely I, I think um, you know Ruth is emphasizing real world learning experiences and facilitating you know a non-hierarchical structure to the classes so you know I think ultimately I don't know so much about nursing but I imagine they really developing um, confidence and, you know, efficacy, positive efficacy to believe that they can go out there and, and actually, you know, help people. Um, it's so... Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think there's a real, when you're in a learning role, I think there is a feeling when you're in clinical practice that maybe, you know, should I should I do this? Should Or should I ask somebody's permission? But that confidence that they're either able to do it or they know how to phrase the right questions, I think has been another part that's been really useful for them. I like the idea of this combination of problem-based learning and, and simulation and uh, create, you know, my, my partner is a, is a physician and uh, which means I get to download all healthcare responsibilities to her, which is wonderful, actually. <laughs> a lot of time and space. But to, to understand what that sort of training needs to do so that you're going through this internal checklist that lay people don't even see, and to have students have that opportunity within a supportive environment to be faced with that challenge and have it be okay to make a mistake and then process through that mistake, I just think it's incredibly valuable. And it's gonna, I think it's gonna touch on some of the things that have, have uh, meant a lot to me in terms of my journey as an educator. 
I think actually that point of, um, you know, in when you see a clinician in practice, it's they're just doing. And actually, you know, there's, I suppose, a benefit of this approach is they've had the time to work out why they're doing so that when they are with sick people, they are just doing. And that's what you want, isn't it? Mm, exactly. Johannes, you want to go on then and share with us? Uh, sure. So, so I will um, share an experience from the from the prison. Um, uh, it was a medium uh, security prison in in eastern Washington State, and uh, the the job was to teach community college courses. And uh, I don't know if all Americans have this view, but at least I, I have this view that everyone in England is in, in incredibly uh, educated and very well uh, prepared to speak and debate and have intelligent conversations and use just the right word at just the right time. Um, but I did not have experience debate um, as part of any of my formal education. And I actually stumbled across it as a way to engage the audience because I was working with, with folks that were incarcerated for a variety of reasons and had, uh, had lots of negative experiences in the classroom that just to have them show up and make that choice um, was a win in many ways. But then to take the next step and, and find ways to reach that population um, and, and really engage them in, in thinking through, and yes, it was all men, this is a, a men's facility, reach them and, and engage them in conversation. Um, yeah, I was at a loss. I, I was completely at a loss. And and so just, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. I. I you know, engage them in conversation. And I found that a lot of them had very, very strong ideas, but struggled to take the perspective of anybody else. And that to me became an opportunity. And so what I started doing, because I was there and I would see these guys semester after semester, um, I would sort of start a process where they had to make a good argument on any topic they wanted. And they had to find good sources, and they had to organize their argument within a framework that I sort of gave them an argument of fact, an argument of value, something you believe, an argument of policy, something that's going to, we can institute to, to make this happen in other places. And once they were able to do that, the next challenge would be to have them argue against the thing that they just said mattered most to them. And I will never forget a student who really, really struggled with that. The topic was something that was very important to that person and to even consider the opposite of the argument that that student had made was a fundamental challenge of who they were. And the first class in which I encouraged them to do it, they couldn't do it. And what was great about the experience is that I was able to see that student a full year later. And when I was asked that person to give to, to, to take that next step um, and argue against a position they, they felt strongly about, they were able to do that. And, and just at its very elemental idea that education is about expanding perspectives beyond the narrow frame that you were born with or conditioned with or that your life experiences have set you up for, um, influenced how I thought about the power of debate within within pedagogy. And I, I've really become convinced that we need to reclaim reasonable and reasoned argument as a means to get us out of the various messes that we find ourselves in. 
And part of that is acknowledging the role that emotion plays in a lot of these things and often goes unstated. And I just think by acknowledging how uh, passions can overtake reason, we can at least begin to um, allow for the other parts of argument to come through and touch us. And so for, for me, seeing that student being able to make that step, just really, I guess, uh, made, made me feel like the value of education was more than just the degree, was more than the piece of paper or going through the prescribed series of courses for X or Y, but it is this personal thing that allows us to grow as people. And, and that really stayed with me. Um, mm -hmm. and yes, many light bulbs were going off. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you lit many, many light bulbs in, in the prison and, and beyond, but I, I was just gonna call on Zoe because you talked about the power, you know, the issues of power and it seems to again, resonate with that. Yeah. I think it's really interesting hearing about, uh, Johannes's experience in a prison because sadly, I would say a number of learning institutions have certain similarities to to prisons and you know really interesting to hear you trying to advocate for your students to to voice their own opinions um before i go on to talk about my light bulb experience as a parent of um teenagers who are completing their a levels and gcse's at a british curriculum school i'm just i just find it remarkable how much education in the British curriculum seems to have gone back backwards towards rote learning. And often when I um, attend my children's parent-teacher meetings, um, what I'm told is that they, my kids don't necessarily need to understand what they're learning. They just need to be able to memorize it and then um, reproduce it in the exams. And so there's very little space for voice. So, uh, it's not about their opinion or listening to anyone else's it's about learning the the formula even for subjects like history and english so in terms of my teaching i think that every semester i have the same kind of light bulb um moment it's more like i, I guess disco lights that might be a bit of an exaggeration but and what happens is is that the students and myself realize that they are the most important resource in the learning equation. And, you know, I teach um, social media. So it's a critical, theoretical and practical approach to creating social media campaigns. And, you know, I sure I can teach them about the prehistory of social media. I can teach them about the current theory. I can talk about images platforms, affordances, and, you know, the um, conventional curriculum that you might have anywhere in the world. But my students, um, so I teach at a women's only university, and students have to scan in and scan out, and it's very high security. And many of them are the first people in their family to go to university. And, you know, du Dubai, the UAE was a country that was um, formed in 1971 and it's a recently literate um, society so some of my students grandparents you know can't necessarily read or write um, so it's a big deal for the students to to be there and while i'm trying to teach them social media every semester i 
a number of students in my class are already very sophisticated content creators. And um, I've got one, one student, for instance, well, she's a graduate now, and she's got 1.7 million followers on YouTube. Um, a number of them have, you know, that, you know, they are micro celebrities in the region. And so I just, you know, so right away from the beginning, I do tell students that you've got your skills and, you know, it's not for me to tell you what to say or how to say it. You need, I want to give them the confidence to have a voice and um, to, to kind of give it a go. And another, a really pertinent example is um, one of my students is a, a disability activist. And in the UAE, um, people with disabilities are called people of determination. And she organized a, a youth circle at the, the World Trade Center in Dubai and managed to invite um, the Minister of Education, um, some leaders of universities, the media, and hosted this incredible, you know, this dialogue between these key stakeholders and, and students with disabilities. And then that was um, also promoted across various social media platforms. So, um, you know, I, I just was in awe of this particular student and many of them and learned a lot from them. So, you know, th those are the, the hopefully those different lights go on um, in each course that I do. Mm -hmm. uh, but it comes from the yeah, student. Okay, so uh, we have all, all got these amazing light bulb moments. So let's talk a little bit about we going to the islands. And I, I am, I'm going to be strict to just ask you to mention one teaching prop or pedagogy that you would take with you when in our boats, we just have a little space, not too much, although you can bring, you know, big things because it's a magic boat. Um, so what would you bring to the island to make that special learning time possible with students? Well, I think for me, the thing that has got me out of so many holes in this whole COVID pandemic teaching work world has been a little handy web resource called Padlet that's a, um, a almost like a virtual notice board. And, you know, you can leave post-it notes on it and students can add post-it notes on it. Um, and it, the reason I love it is it's just so user friendly. I can I can add things without really any lessons. So I know that my students can as well. But the childish thing that makes it uh, so positive for me, something I want on my treasure island, is the ease at which I can add gifts to my teaching resource, which is a newfound skill that I just think I need in my academic world. Can you elaborate? You you mean you have already found this skill that you have, or is it? Well, I, I didn't I didn't know I needed to be able to add gifts to my teaching resources, but now that I can add gifts to my teaching resource, I possibly do it add far too much probably to my youthful students. Um, but I do think I give really cheerfully cheers um, up a teaching resource from the words um, and resources and documents that you would otherwise be posting. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that students like it or what, what's, what, what's the feedback? Yeah, well, they see, I think they like Padlet similarly because of the ease and, and the way in which they can add their own documents and colour um, and pictures and those sorts of things. So I think it's incredibly sort of you know, versatile um, uh, platform. Funnily enough, they've given me no feedback about my gifts whatsoever. So maybe that's just a personal joy for me. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's definitely a skill. I mean, some of my colleagues are amazing. They just seem to find the perfect gift for any moment. Yes. 
I, I also find that is quite a cultural reference. So it's interesting. Ah, you yes. I've talked about going to Latvia. Obviously, Zoe, you are in a, you know, in, in, you have travelers, lots of different cultures. So it's in, it would be interesting to figure out how it works in that intercultural context. But okay, any other teaching props or pedagogies? So it's funny um, that, that this question is being asked because I've actually been invited to go to um, the island of Socotra, which is officially part of um, Yemen. And it's considered to be one of the, the most um, remote, underdeveloped and um, biodiverse places on earth. So I had to actually think about how I would carry out research and, and related to pedagogy. So um, what yeah, I'm proposing, I'm yeah. So <laughs> so what what I'm proposing is taking uh, solar powered instant cameras with, and this this is the kind of hypothetical part with unlimited film, um, and rather than mm -hmm. um, going and, and documenting and photographing people of Socotra, women of Socotra, which is who I'm going to be focusing on, like perhaps earlier ethnographers might have done. I plan to give out 12 cameras to 12 university aged women and ask them to document their current experiences because um, while there's a lot of talk about empowering women and closing the gender gap through education, it seems to me that um, a lot of the um, frameworks and definitions of empowerment are, are quite universal. And from the few pictures of Socotra women that I've seen, um, there are other challenges like being able to collect water every day in um, kind of makeshift um, cups and, and buckets. So I think by giving people cameras, you could actually see what's important to them and you can get their perspective. So also visuality is not universal either. And, you know, although um, all cultures have visual elements, their meanings mean different things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, instant camera with unlimited film. Yeah, participatory. Yeah, ethnography. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Zoe. And I, I hope you can send us a postcard or an or an well, an electronic postcard. Would love to I'll hear how it works. <laughs> yeah, Johannes, what's your teaching proper pedagogy? Well, now I just want to talk about photo voice and all the wonderful possibilities of that. And I I'm just so intrigued and excited by that potential. And I, I love the application of it. Um, and how you're thinking about it. I think it's incredible. Um, I, I, I'm not, I feel like I have to up my game here a little bit here. Well, I, <laughs> I am terribly- Don't go on judgmental island. I think it's- <laughs> not judgmental island. You don't have to offshore. Because what we can do is we can barter and co-create with our objects. So it doesn't Perfect. matter. Yeah, Perfect. you cannot share the items. <laughs> So I am I tend to be quite literal. So for, for me, it would have to be a multi-purpose uh, tool or technique. So I, I think I would bring the pedagogy of visual mapping to keep with visuals, because I think uh, on this this island, there will be lots of time for, for teaching and trying to understand one another, but we're also going to have to map it out. We're going to need to know where there's coconuts or good fishing ground or where there's a snake pit or 
we might need to uh, come together to figure out how we're going to make decisions and we're, and we're going to need a means to um, see how each other are describing not only where we are, but our interactions with one another. And so I'm imagining a, a visual mapping platform that would instantly allow us to uh, send our personal map to a larger map that we could all see. Um, and, and we might use it in a variety of ways uh, for, from conveying information and presenting information to also sort of interrogating what we think and what we mean uh, and how we're all going to get along together. I love that. So this co-constructing or understanding and perception, so not just mapping your own, but then also making it so that everyone is on the same page in a sense. And yeah, I love that. Thank you. That, that's brilliant. We've got some good, sub, we, what, not subjects, objects, <laughs> pedagogies on the island. So let's, um, you know, you've described fantastic journeys and, you know, a whole, you know, for five carries worth of different contexts. But you've, you also need some time, especially in this period of COVID, of, of relaxing on the islands where you can just withdraw in a corner and do things that you like doing um, off, off duty. So uh, the luxury items is what I'm interested in. What luxury items shall we sneak into the boats that's just for you? Well, I can envisage my tropical islands and there's blue sea and there's white sand and there's peace and quiet and palm trees. And I can envisage there's coconuts and there's plentiful fish in the sea. But the thing that worries me about this tropical paradise is that the food might get a bit boring after a while. Um, so I think what I would like to bring would be a good stash of salt, pepper, herbs, seasoning, just, you know, spice up our fish diet, our coconut soups as we go through. And that way we can just stay forever. <laughs> so I think that's that sounds great, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does sound good. And I think I agree with Ruth that um, I think Mother Nature will provide most things that we need on the island in terms of coconuts for water and utensils, pineapples, um, seaweed for vitamins, and we could use branches to make spears to fish. Um, but personally, what I would have to bring um, is a, a giant double four-poster bed with uh, mosquito <laughs> nets and feather pillows and a feather duvet because I've actually spent a lot of time on these kind of islands in, in Borneo and in the Philippines, Indonesia. And I, I would like to be able to be really comfortable and to lie back on, on my beautiful bed um and people can come and join me and we take lots of photographs and we could um, add them to the visual mapping and the photo everyone could have their own you know yeah photo narrative so we could share our stories oh i love this huge bed uh, zoe and uh, thank you for giving us this insider information about island living i think that's very useful <laughs> johannes what would you take there are two things that i'm passionate about one is playing uh hockey or I, as as you all know it ice hockey and i play uh, about four times a week um if it's a good week so i, I but i don't think that's gonna i don't think my skates and stick um are gonna be of much use on our island so i will have to bring my other passion which is uh, music so i'll be bringing a guitar and I am hoping to exchange a, a song or two or maybe lessons for some seasoning and at least one night 
every once in a while in that big bed because um, I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I can, maybe the hammock, or maybe I can situate some sort of hammock situation that will, uh, that will work out. But um, we're going to need to come together and sing a song or two. Um, maybe folks want to extend their learning to an instrument. Um, so a guitar with strings that never break. <laughs> will be on my uh, will be on my list. Yeah, and then an, an endless supply. If, if it's solar powered, um, yeah, we need endless supply of, of things. That sounds can, lovely. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, can you sing, Johannes? I can sing a little bit. I can sing a little bit. Um, right. uh, one of the one of my COVID projects was uh, releasing the dreaded self album. Um, which I managed to complete uh, original songs. And uh, my kids would tell you that they're really happy that that process is over. <laughs> and I think these are uh, photo stories, um, you know, the, the musical, the audio track and great food that's really well seasoned. Um, you know, we won't need Netflix, we won't miss it. <laughs> I think you're right. I had a nice time on our island, I tell you. <laughs> I am slightly worried about the gifts that Ruth is going to send, though. <laughs> it's fine, because I think that Zoe's cameras are just taking stills, so there'll be no gifts whatsoever on this island. <laughs> <laughs> well done. We need the gifts. <laughs> yeah, you can capture loads of lovely gifts with the sand, the spices going in, in the air, the guitar. Yeah, sounds idyllic, I think. And uh, yeah, well done on, on your musical extracurricular activity, Johannes, as well. I think I'm sure uh, kids are harshest critics, so don't don't pay attention to them. Just well, enjoy they, the they learned some new words during the mixing process. Let's put it that way. But it, it was uh, it was a labor of love and I'm really glad it's done. And uh, yeah, it's done. <laughs> the music, the best intercultural way of connecting, you know, that, that so I think that's a nice um, angle. And maybe, I mean, you could maybe hop onto a, a no Arctic island to do some of your ice hockey. I don't know whether that's possible. <laughs> okay, so thanks everyone. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, every time I just want to stay on the island. <laughs> So thank you everybody and then goodbye. Goodbye all, thank Bye. you. Bye.